good morning, Generation Church. Aren't you thankful for the resurrected King? Amen. Thank you. Uh, Zion. Zion's my son-in-law, by the way, and uh, I'm Pastor Randy, and I am going to be here this morning. Pastor Ryan was over preaching in the tradition service, so that was a real treat for them, and that means you guys are stuck with me, so (laughs) what can I tell you? But if you'd like to take out your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 15 to 21 this morning. We're doing a series on Galatians, freedom in Christ. And this morning, we're going to be looking at don't let others steal your freedom. And speaking about stealing freedom, uh, one time there was this burglar was going through this house late at night. He was tiptoeing through the house with a flashlight, and he hears out of the darkness, I see you, and so does Jesus. And when he hears that, he just freezes, and his blood goes cold, and his heart drops down in his stomach. I see you, and so does Jesus. And he turns the light to where the voice was coming from, and he sees a parrot up on a perch. And it's, I see you, and so does Jesus. And he just laughs. He goes, say, you stupid bird. I don't care if you see me, and I don't believe in Jesus. And then he hears, and he lowers the light. Underneath the perch is this great, big, snarling Rottweiler. And the parrot goes, sick him, Jesus. So Galatians 2, 15 to 21 says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does this mean that Christ promotes sin? (laughs) Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing, which he did not. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Let it come alive in our hearts this morning and, and just let us, let us glean life from it this today. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, there was this Lowe's commercial where this guy was installing a fan, a ceiling fan in his home and, you know, kind of a do-it-yourself thing. And he climbs down from the ladder, goes over the wall, flicks the switch, and the fan just starts to turn beautifully. And he just kind of puts his hands on his hip and just admires his handiwork when all of a sudden sparks start flying out of the fan. It starts spinning around faster. Smoke comes out. And the next scene is this guy's walking along the street and the ceiling fan comes flying out of the bay window and lands right at his feet. And on the, on the screen it says, do it yourself, need help, Lowe's. Yeah. And you know what? We need help because do-it-yourself Christianity doesn't work. It always ends in disaster. I know I'm a do-it-myself guy and anything I do ends in disaster, but when it comes to trying to live for God under your own power, it always ends in disaster. 
When you live for God by your own power or your own strength, it doesn't work. It never works. That's why we need help. We need help in overcoming sinful habits and attitudes and behaviors. And as believers, we are called to freedom. Galatians is a book dedicated to Christian freedom. We are called to be free, to walk in freedom. In Galatians 5, 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Watch out for those that want to come and rob your freedom. Freedom is mentioned 11 times in this book. 11 times, Christ has set us free. Now, as I said, the problem is that there are forces that are constantly trying to steal our freedom and put us back into bondage and put us back under guilt and condemnation and man-made rules and traditions. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at don't let others steal your freedom, how you can be free and how you can stay free. Because we see in the book of Galatians that we have been set free from the law. Now, when Paul talks about the law, what, what is he referring to? What, what does this mean to be set free from the law? What's, what's he trying to tell us? Well, let, let's start with he's not referring to the laws of the land. <laughs> like if you get pulled over for doing something and you roll down your window and you say, hey, copper, get away from me. I've been set free from the law. I don't have to listen to you. Oh, you're going to find out you do. Being a Christian means we should obey the laws of the land. So if you break the law, I mean, you know, you don't want to do that because they'll, they'll send people after you if you do that with badges. We don't need no stinking badges. With badges and guns, and they'll arrest you, and they'll lock you up or shoot you if you resist. But anyway, you know, like that song goes, I fought the law and the law won. So the law is going to win, so you want to obey the laws of the land. The law that Paul's talking about here is he's referring to, the law that he's referring to is found in the Pentateuch. And that's the first five books of the Bible. And God gave the law to Moses and the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt. Now, a lot of times skeptics of Christianity will try to use the law against us. And they'll say, oh, if you're Christians, and if you really believe what the Bible says, then you would be putting witches to death. You'd be stoning adulterers. You wouldn't eat lobster or pork or anything like that. Well, we don't put witches to death. We'd rather bring them to Christ, amen? amen? And we don't stone adulterers because we'd run out of rocks. And as far as, <laughs> and as, far as eating, you know, what we eat, it's like, hey, bring on the bacon because we are totally into bacon, amen? Amen. amen. You see, the, the answer is we don't do those things because those were under the law. We're not under the law. Now, when the Bible talks about the law, we need to understand that there were three basic aspects to the law. And this is what causes some confusion. There was the civil and criminal laws for the commonwealth of Israel. And these covered everything from murder to stealing to fighting, uh, moving boundary stones, uh, or how you treat your, your servants, or property laws, things like that. And, and so we, we don't put witches to death. We don't stone adulterers. We don't have cities of refuge where people could go when they killed someone, they could go there and and be safe and until their trial came up. We don't have those things because those laws were for a specific nation, the nation of Israel. They don't apply to us. 
You know, it is interesting, though, when you, when you look at this and you look at how God set up his nation, Israel was set up by God, and how God set up his nation, everything was pay it back, make restitution, or they put you to death. There were no prisons in Israel. God did not have a prison system where they take you and lock you up like an animal and you become a burden to society, which is just kind of an interesting thought that I thought I'd throw in. But anyway, the civil, civil laws governed life for living in ancient Israel. Then there were the religious laws. The religious laws covered everything from the rituals, the, all the rules, the, the regulations, the rites for worship, uh, sacrifices, festivals, holy days, purity laws, dietary laws, cleanliness laws. The reason why we don't have those is because those were all fulfilled by Christ. Amen. They were a foreshadow of what was to come. And, and, and that's why we don't have to bring our bulls and goats with us when we go to church for sacrifice because Jesus was the one sacrifice. Aren't you glad you don't have to load up your bull or your goat to take it to church? I mean, getting the kids to church is hard enough sometimes. <laughs> then there was the moral law. The moral law defined right from wrong, what is sin and what is not, how to, uh, how to behave, how to conduct yourself. And this is all summed up in the Decalogue or what's known as the Ten Commandments. Christ took the moral law, he took it off of stone tablets and he put it on our hearts. And we see that in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not gonna be like the, the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with them, with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and write it in their hearts. Yeah. Remember, the old law was written on tablets of stone. God now writes it in our hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or, or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We, we can know God personally now. Doesn't matter if you're a priest or a pastor or a common person, we all can know God. Declares the Lord, for I will forgive their, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Aren't you glad God doesn't remember our sin anymore? People may remember your sin, you may remember your sin, but not God. Now, one of the great misconceptions and errors of the people that in Jesus' day, what they embraced was a person could be saved by obeying the law, that you could earn favor and salvation through obedience and adherence to the law. And, and, and even today, some people have wrongly said or taught that in the Old Testament, they were saved by obeying the law, but in the New Testament, were saved by grace. Uh, 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 no, that's not true. Everyone, down through the centuries, Old Testament and both New Testament are saved by the same means, grace through faith. Habakkuk 2.4 said, the righteous will live by faith. And Paul cites that again in Romans 1.17 and again in Galatians 3.13. But in Romans 1.17, he says, for a righteousness, for a gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is written from first to last, from the beginning to the end, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, in the Old Testament, they looked forward to their redemption, to the cross and the resurrection. In the New Testament, we look back, but in the Old Testament, they looked forward to that. Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day. David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He was looking forward to what Jesus was gonna do. Isaiah saw the saw Christ hanging on the cross when he said he was he was punished the punishment that brought us forgiveness was upon him Isaiah described Jesus hanging on the cross 700 years before it happened so the old testament believers they showed their faith they showed their faith by by keeping the law but the problem was no one can be saved by obedience to the law because no one except the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to perfectly keep the law. So if you break the law, someone who breaks the law is what? He is a law breaker. If you break the law, you're a law breaker. Just like if you murder one person, you are a a murderer. If you go before the judge and say, but judge, I only murdered one person. What about all the people I didn't murder? Don't I get any credit for that? No, you are a murderer if you murder one person. So when the Bible says the curse of the law, what that means is you cannot keep the law. Thus you are a lawbreaker and lawbreakers are worthy of death. So the curse of the law is no one can keep the law. We're all lawbreakers. We're all under the sentence of death. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is no one righteous, no, not a one, and the wages of sin is death. So then why did, why did God give us the law? Was the law bad? No, the Bible says the law is good. The problem is we're bad. He gave us this law. God gave us the law to, to give us a code and guidance to live by. Because without laws, you're what? You're lawless. There's chaos and anarchy. The law defines right and wrong, what's, what's sinful behavior and what's not. Otherwise, it would be up to us to define, and that's, that's never a good thing. In, in Israel, there was a time where the Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and, and the result was rape, murder, civil war. I mean, it was ugly. So the law also was given to demonstrate man's weakness. No one's strong enough. No one is good enough to perfectly keep the law. Now, back in the 80s, some of you might remember this, uh, televangelist Pat Robertson decided to run for president. So he became a presidential candidate for a while. And while he was doing that, he went on the Phil Donahue show. Some of you might remember that. But uh, Phil Donahue asked Pat Robertson, he said, Reverend Robertson, can a Jew go to heaven without accepting Jesus? Now, that's kind of a trap because first of all, Pat Robertson was there as a presidential candidate and it's really not up to the president who goes to heaven and who's not and who does. That's not really his job description. So he was trying to trap him, trying to trick him up. And uh, because if Pat Robertson said no, uh, or, or, uh, then uh, he would be denying one of the main tenets of the Christian faith that you do have to have Jesus. And if Pat Robertson said yes, then, you know what the headline was going to be? Pat Robertson says, all Jews go to hell. 
You know, the, the headline of the New York Times would have been, Pat Robertson to Jews, go to hell. And, you know, it, they would have crucified him. But Pat pulled a Jesus on him. And he said, well, I suppose that if a Jew can perfectly keep the law without fault, he wouldn't need a savior. And that, uh, Phil Donahue didn't know how to respond to that. Totally blew him out of the water. So the law displays our sinfulness. The law reveals to us and others we are all big sinners. The law is like looking into a mirror that makes us see ourselves, sees our faults and our flaws. And, and I'll tell you what, as I get older, I'm telling you, I'm hating mirrors more and more. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And, and uh, the law can only show us our sinfulness. It has no power to cleanse us. So therefore, the law drives us to Christ. The law forces me to realize, forces me to realize that I am a sinner. No excuses. There's no way I can save myself. And therefore, I need a savior and I need the grace of God, which is only made available, which is only made possible by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the one and only way I can have freedom. Christ has set me free from the law. And because of that, that's why we have to constantly be alert for those who would steal our freedom, those who would rob us of our freedom. So the robbers. You know, a rule of life is when you got something good, somebody's going to try to take it away from you, right? Somebody's going to attempt to steal it. Jesus said Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you got something good, you, you, you got to guard it, you got to protect it, you got to lock it up, you got to watch over it. You may even have to fight to keep it, or you could lose it. And throughout the history of the church, believers have faced two basic attacks on their freedom. The two attacks are called legalism and licentiousness. Now, licentiousness is also could be called libertinism or antinomialism, if you want to feel some theological terms. But licentiousness is where we get the term license from. And, and it's basically, licentiousness basically says, hey, since you're saved by grace, it really doesn't matter what you do. So you can go out there and sin all you want. You have a license to sin. You can sin all you desire because it doesn't matter. You got grace. Now, Paul confronts this freedom-stealing attack in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 15. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. God forbid, he says. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us freedom to sin. Jesus died on the cross to give us freedom from Amen. sin. He didn't die so we could go out there and sin with impunity. He died to set us free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6, 18 says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So we, we don't use the grace of God to sin. We use the grace of God to stop sinning because we realize sin is bad. We recognize that sin is wrong. It violates God's will. And as believers, our overwhelming goal is to please God. Sin is destructive. Sin by its nature is caustic. It's corrosive. 
It degrades, it destroys, it always tears down. Nothing good ever comes out of sin. Don't expect anything good to come out of it. Sin would be like drinking poison and thinking, this is gonna make me feel good. This is gonna make me healthy. No, there's always, always a price to sin. There's always consequences. And remember, the reason why God doesn't want us to engage in sin is because sin hurts us and God loves us. That's why he said, don't do these things. Not like he's trying to kill our fun or anything like that. Also, my new nature now wants to please God. When you got saved, you got a new nature that now wants to please God and live righteously. Now, again, this doesn't mean we don't sin or that we don't struggle with sin and temptation. We do. And that's why we need grace. <laughs> Thank God for grace. Grace to save us. Grace to cleanse us. Grace to keep us from sin. And grace that continually cleanses us from first to last. Grace. And this is why we reject licentiousness. But then the other robber is legalism. Legalism is taking the grace of God and adding all these rules and works to it. And that's what Paul was dealing with here in the book of Galatians. The, the Galatian believers, both Jew and Gentiles, had received the word of God, had received the grace of God, and they were saved and set free. But then the robber showed up. Remember, they always do. They, the, we're called Judaizers. These Judaizers show up, and those were Jews who, they were followers of Jesus, but they didn't quite get it. And they said, oh, you're saved? Oh, great. But now you gotta do. Now you gotta do this. Now you gotta be circumcised. Not good news if you're an adult male Gentile, right? Now you gotta be circumcised. You gotta keep the Sabbath. You gotta, you gotta obey the laws of Moses. You gotta eat kosher. You gotta get, basically, you gotta get back under the law. Now, in modern times, we, we have our own form of Judaizers. People that will come along and say, oh, you're saved? Well, great, praise the Lord. Now here's a list of rules for you to follow. Here's some things you need to do. And if you do them, we'll accept you. Now, some of you, some of you remember growing up maybe in a church like that, or you remember the rules that, that, that you were put under, and, and it sounded like church just became a lot of don'ts. And some of the rules were you can't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with the girls that do. You know, if you're a girl, you had to wear skirts, no pants, no makeup, no haircuts, no jewelry. You had to dress modestly, maybe like a burqa. <laughs> Guys, no long hair, can't have long hair. No shorts, that really stunk if you lived in Arizona in the summer. No mixed bathing, which goodbye beach and public pools. No movie houses, no cards, no dancing, no secular music. You had to go to church twice on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you didn't go, you're a backslider and we'll talk about you. <laughs> and lay all kinds of condemnation on you. Sounds great, doesn't it? Sign me up for that, right? No wonder lots of people left. No wonder lots of kids when they got old enough, said, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. Legalism 
brings bad results. It robs us of our joy, our freedom, our harmony. Because you know what? Legalism, you know, it separates people. It becomes us and them. Those who follow the rules and those who don't. And we see this happen in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. What did he do? Well, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group. Then the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, son of encouragement, was led astray. So what we see here is Peter. Peter, the big hero of the early church. Peter, the BMOC, big man on campus. I mean, Peter, the guy that walked on water. Peter, the, the feeding of the 5,000 helping. Peter, the guy that had a fish dinner with a resurrected Christ. Peter, he, he was palling around with the Gentiles. He was eating with them. He was being a good Christian. But then some of the old gang shows up from Jerusalem. Some of the Judaizers come along. Uh, some of those men are the guys who didn't quite grasp the, the, the grace of God. They come along and they say, Peter, you're not eating with the Gentiles, are you? And Peter's like, who, me? Oh, no, no, no way. I'm I'm, I'm a a good Jewish boy. I I don't eat with them. And and he pulled back. You know, I could just picture Peter having that conversation, and all of a sudden, some Gentile believer walks up and says, hey, Peter, you coming over tonight? I'm throwing some shrimp on the barbie, and we're going to have a good time. Oh, no, I don't eat with you, Gentile. What are you talking about, man? You were just over at my house last night. We had pulled pork sandwiches. You were scarfing them down like they were going out of style. Oh, no, I deny that. I deny that, I deny that. Three times I deny that, right? (laughs) That's why Paul said I had to rebuke Peter and stop that Peter. We're all followers of Jesus because legalism, legalism will always separate and divide us into the rule keepers and the rule breakers. And if you don't keep the rules and the laws the way I do, then you're not a part of the group. You're not one of us. You're not one of the holy ones. Go away. Also, legalism always makes us hypocrites. Legalism will always lead to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word for play acting. Because whatever rules we set up, whatever rules we impose on ourselves or others, we will always find ways around them. Or we will hide our breaking of them. Or we just will pretend like we we keep them. I, I knew a guy, he was over working in Saudi Arabia for a while, and he gets on this plane with a bunch of Saudi officials and, and uh, guys from the company, and, and it was during Ramadan. During Ramadan, they're not allowed to eat or drink or smoke during the day. So they get on this plane, the plane takes off, and all the, all the Muslim guys get out their, their cigarettes, and they start eating, and they start drinking, and he goes, hey, what's going on here? I, I thought it was Ramadan. They said, oh, no, Ramadan's only when you're on the ground. We're in the air now. So, <laughs> And it's like the Jews were like that when they said, in order to keep the Sabbath, in order not to be a Sabbath breaker, you couldn't go more than two miles from where your cloak was. 
If you went more than two miles, you were a Sabbath breaker. So if you wanted to go somewhere during the Sabbath, what you did was you got a bunch of cloaks and every two miles, you hung your cloak. Two more miles, two more miles. See, you always, whatever rules man sets up, he'll always try to find a way around. When we put rules and laws over grace, we'll always wind up being hypocrites. Peter and Barnabas even fell into that. They were acting like hypocrites. Also, legalism turns the church into a club. Legalism will always transform the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, it'll transform us from a soul-winning, life-changing, devil-stomping, hell's gate-kicking, people-loving, sinner-rescuing, bride of Christ into a club. Church becomes a Christian club. Do what we do or you're not welcomed here. You got to measure up to be a part of us. You got to measure up to fit in. Kind of like the Marines. We're looking for a few good men. That was their old slogan. Or maybe you can be one of us. Okay for the Marines, but not for the church. Here's a poem I came across. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right, no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look and do always as I do. And then and only then I'll fellowship with you. The church becomes nothing more than an exclusive members only club. Bless us four, no more. Bless us three, we all agree. Bless us two, that'll do. Bless us one, not much fun. Groucho Marx one time was asked why he never joined a country club, and he said, any club that would have me, I wouldn't want to be a part of. So, <laughs> but God didn't call us to be a club. He called us to be the church, That's right. the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not the best hope of the world. Let me say that again. The church of Jesus Christ is not the best hope of the world. It is the only hope of the world. The church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And if there was a plan B, it would be go back to plan A. <laughs> also, legalism breeds pride. You know, it's funny how, how we humans, we, we kind of have a love-hate relationship with legalism. On one hand, we just by nature, we hate rules. And we, wrote, we rebel against them. I mean, if you want me to touch a wall, just put up a sign, wet paint, don't touch. I can't help myself, right? As soon as you see that sign, I never went in think of touching that wall, but as, I see, as soon as I see that sign, I'm like, oh yeah, boom, there you go. I touched it, what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> so on one hand, we hate rules and regulations, laws, but on the other hand, we kind of, we love rules and regulations and laws because I can measure myself by them, how well I keep them. You know, the checklist to be worthy. And even better, I can use the law to compare myself to others. Compared to you, I'm doing great. You know, compared, you're a train wreck, I'm doing pretty good. And we saw this when, with the Pharisee and the tax collector when they went to the temple to pray. And Jesus told us about how the Pharisee stood before God and said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector. Man, I'm doing good. Look at all the good things I do. Pride. That's just a form of pride. Right. 
Max Licato said, a legalist believes the supreme force behind salvation is you. If you look right, speak right, and belong to the right segment of the right group, you will be saved. Legalism, the Bible warns us, sets aside the grace of God. It says the Lord's sacrifice was not enough. And what happens is legalists, they kill grace, they drive people from the faith. Chuck Swindoll said the problem with legalists is not enough people have confronted them and told them to get lost. Those are strong words, but I don't mess with legalism anymore. I'm 72 years old now. What have I got to lose? Seriously, I, I used to kowtow to legalists, but they're dangerous. They're grace killers. They'll drive off every new Christian you bring to church. They are enemies of the faith. Other than that, I don't have any opinion. <laughs> Paul certainly confronts them and their teachings. And he said, if righteousness could be gained by following the law, then Christ died for nothing. And that brings us to freedom through death. In Galatians 20, 21, uh, 20 to 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness is gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The law no longer binds me because I died. I died. And you can't condemn a dead man. I died when Christ died. I was crucified with Christ. The old Randy is dead and freed from the law. I am now free to live for Christ. Now I live for him, not because it's the law, but because I love him. And I want to please him. I want to do his will. Jesus has set me free from my sin, from my guilt, from my own efforts of trying to earn God's favor and salvation, something I could never do. But most of all, I am now free. We are now free to love him and to serve him. And his message to us is be free. Being a Christian is a lot of fun when you're free. Don't allow the robbers to steal it. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Won't you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We have been set free. But you know, in order to be free, you've got to receive the freedom that Christ has given us. If you're still, if you're here and if you are still in your sin you have, and need to be set free, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. See, salvation is a free gift. You have to receive it. It'd be like this. Imagine you were sitting in a prison cell and Jesus came and ripped the, the cell door off and said, be free. You got to make a decision. Am I going to stay in this cell or am I going to walk out and be free? And that's basically what salvation is. You have to decide, am I going to receive the free gift of salvation or am I going to stay in my prison? If you stay in your prison, that's your decision. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. Jesus has set us free. And if you're here this morning and if you've never received Christ into your life, if you never said, Jesus, come into my life, wash away my sins and set me free from, from the guilt and condemnation of sin, this morning we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if you're here and you would say, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, 
just why other Christians, their, their, their heads are bowed, they're praying, they're praying for you. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want to be set free, just as a way of responding, just as a way of saying, yes, that's me, I'm going to ask you, just, just put your hand up, just slip your hand up in the air so I can see it. Okay, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you in the back. All right, anyone else? We just want to give you a chance to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I want to be free. I want to be free from my sin and guilt. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Well, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I like to, uh, th this is a prayer that I like to tell people it's not a magical prayer, but it's just expressing what's in your heart. And I'm just going to invite you to say it with me, okay? So, and I'm going to invite all of us to say this prayer. I always like to say it's always a good reminder of what Jesus has done for me. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, Lord, I come to you this morning and I ask you to set me free from my sin. Wash my sins away and make me brand new. And from this day forward, I want to live for you according to your word. Help me to do that. Give me the strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a big hand for those that raised their hand this morning.